The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello there. My name is J.A. Bond. We won the Jamie Trillips on WBCA 102.9 FM, Boston's local community, community registration. My guest today is Lava Jeskin, distancy from City Splash in Charlottesville. Hi, Lava. Good, good to see you on the show today. Great to be here. Thanks Absolutely. for having me. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and meet you. Um, okay, so can you tell me a little, a little bit about yourself, how you got started at Charlottesville in City Splash? Sure. Um... So I'm the executive director of the Charles River Conservancy, which is a, um, a nonprofit that is based in Cambridge, but works on the Charles River from Watertown to Boston. And I've been working in um, the environmental sector and specifically in public parks for uh, just about 15 years now. Um, I started out thinking that I wanted to be an architect because I was really interested in design and how design can influence how people experience spaces. Um, and I quickly realized that A, I was not a very good architect and B, that I was more interested in what was happening between the buildings, you know, it was happening outside in public space because that's where you might meet someone that, you know, someone that's different than you, someone that doesn't live in your building or work in your building and you're more likely to meet um, someone you might not otherwise. And I just love that uh, and loved how public parks are such an intersection of community life, you know, environment and stewardship, innovation, art, you know, really everything in, in you know, all good things, I think, intersect in public parks. So um, I took a job with an organization called the Rose Kennedy Greenway Conservancy in 2010, um, when that organization was really just forming and building. That's the park that's on top of the 93 tunnel that goes through downtown Boston. Um, and so got to help with a lot of really fun projects there and a lot of community engagement work and programming um, and just fell in love with everything in public parks. And so um, I worked a little bit after that for a statewide organization called the Trustees of Reservations uh, and then took an opportunity with the Charles River Conservancy to lead the organization. So I've been here for four, a little over four years now, um, which has been really fun and really exciting and love getting to work, you know, in helping make public parks you know, better every day. So how does City Splash come about though? Sure, so City Splash is an event where every, people can go swimming in the Charles, which I think you're probably one of our longest running participants yeah. and most yeah. enthusiastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we um, started the event in 2013. It was the first community swim in the Charles in over 50 years. So. Um, the Charles used to be used as a swimming beach and asset. There's a park in Cambridge called Magazine Beach Park. It's called that because it used to be used as a beach up until about the 1950s and 60s um, when we realized how contaminated the water was because we had been polluting it from industry and um, was really not taking very good care of our river. Um, so swimming stopped. Um, and then there was a lot of work over the, you know, um, succeeding decades to really uh, try to um, clean up the Charles, part of the Clean Water Act. Um, and there were other organizations that were really advocating for the cleanup of it. Um, 
uh, there's a, a letter grading system that the, the federal agency, the um, EPA gives rivers and urban water bodies. And it's like getting a report card from school. So, you know, if you get an A, you're a really good mm-hmm. river, you're a good student. If you get, well, you know, a D, you're bad or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Charles River in the 19, in the 1990s was getting a D grade from the EPA. It was really bad. Um, so all this work, all this investment to really help clean up the river, brought the river back up to a letter grade of, you know, more around the B plus, A minus level. And so our organization started this event to celebrate that, all the work that had gone into that cleanup, um, and to also draw attention to the, you know, we still need to keep doing work to take care of the river. Um, so we get a, uh, we do a lot of work to prepare for the event. We hire lifeguards. Um, we, um, you know, create like a roped out area, you know, a safe swimming area, like you would see at another swimming beach and we get a lot of permits. So we get, um, permits from the department of conservation and recreation, which is our state parks agency. Um, also the department of public health, um, because we have to test the water just to confirm that it's safe to swim in that day, um, for the event. So you can't actually swim in the river any day of the year. You really need to have these special permissions just to make sure it's safe. Um, so we do that. We do all the planning. We get people registered um, and get all their safety information and contacts and then have the swim and people can jump in. So we did the first one in 2013 um, and we had and then we did it again this year. We hadn't had it in five years. Yeah. Um, so this is our first time in five years that we did it this year. It was really fun to bring it back. Yeah, it was wonderful. I enjoyed it. Is there any plans to make the, to make swimming in Charlotte for summertime almost every day? We really, you know, that's really the goal is to make sure to have the trials be swimmable every day. And so I mentioned that improvement of the water quality that um, all the investment and work that had gone into that. Um, and that that's true. What, what the, the letter grade measures is um, bacteria. So, um, you know, something you don't, you don't want too much bacteria in the water. Um, there's another problem that we're having that's different than the bacteria um, which is, um, it's called, uh, it's algae. So we sometimes see algae blooms in the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might see like a green tint or like a green scum to the water. And it happens a lot when there's really hot weather. Um, and that algae can uh, be harmful to humans. So that's kind of another thing that we need to watch out for and that we're trying to figure out how to improve and, and really mitigate so that we don't have that issue. Um, so we're working on that. And then ultimately, you know, we would love to see a swimming area. Uh, and our organization has done plans, a feasibility study for a swim park uh, in the Charles, um, which would basically be, you know, kind of a, think of like a, a, a swimming, a pool, but submerged in the river. So you'd have permeable, you'd have a solid bottom so that, um, you know, people didn't have to touch the bottom of the river because it's gross and you don't want people touching the bottom of the river because it also contaminated to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have a solid bottom and like permeable sides so water could flow through and then a dock, a structure where people could kind of access the water. Um, so it's like a submerged pool. And so we've looked at places where you could do that along the river. Um, so that's uh, an option uh, and what we hope to see as a way of bringing swimming to the river regularly. But we really need to make sure that it's, we can have consistently you know, really good water quality to, to you know, invest in a, a really big project like that. Do you think this might happen maybe next year or maybe a couple of years down the line, this might happen? I think it's still a couple of years down the line. Hopefully it's still, you know, within our uh, swimmable, not too far down the line and, you know, definitely in our lifetime, but 
there are still challenges that we're dealing with the, with the water quality that we need to um, uh, to deal with. And we're looking at ways of how to do that too. So we have um, we have been working on a project, it's our floating wetland project, and it's a artificial island. It's a human-made island mm -hmm. um, that we place in the lower basin, and we're doing research on it to understand how this type of technology, this new kind of tool can help improve water quality, improve the ecology of the river, and by doing so also improve the water quality um, by basically replacing riverbanks and, um, or, you know, building back riverbanks where we don't have that anymore, you know, where we have yeah. sea walls, we have, you know, stone walls that don't have plants on them and they don't have wildlife and all of those things are really important to the ecosystem and the health of the river overall. So while we won't, you know, be able to fully restore the Charles to, you know, full riverbank in areas where we have seawalls, we're looking at ways where we can bring back that greenery, the biodiversity and all of the really important functions that come with that to help make the river healthier. Would it be possible to maybe ice skate and during the winter time maybe or even fish? Is it okay to fish in the river and probably eat, eat the fish that you catch in Charles River? Yeah, people do fish in the river and I'm not sure of the exact recommendation, but I know you, you shouldn't um, have Charles, you can definitely, you can eat them. You shouldn't have Charles River fish be their main source of uh, protein in your diet. You don't want to eat a ton of it, but I think you can, you know, it is safe to eat a certain amount of it, okay. um, but we definitely see people fishing. Um, okay. And skate skating is a good idea. Um, it, that's also not allowed because of safety. It's really hard to tell which sections of the river have enough ice to be safe, yeah. and which ones are thinner mm -hmm. and might people might fall in. Um, so it's not allowed, um, uh, though it has it has been done in a long time ago. I've seen some old photos of people skating, but it's it's not allowed for safety reasons. I see. Yeah, I, I understand that. You know. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So how did COVID affect you, everything being shut down? Was it tough for you? Um, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, like everybody, we have an office of seven people um, and we were working in the office and then all of a sudden we're working from home for over a year. Um, and so we learned how to do that and adapt and kind of continue to work together over Zoom like this. Um, but what's been interesting in the, like the environmental field and the park field is that we also got a lot, a lot more attention. Um, you know, everybody, I think, built an appreciation for just how important public parks are. You know, a lot of people knew that already. A lot of people experienced that, but parks were where people, you know, it's where you were going to safely meet your friends or family. You know, it became like your people's gym, right? Gyms closed, classrooms, a lot of classes were going outside. So. Um, I think it just really highlighted how important the work that we do is as an organization and how important it is to really support our public parks um, so that they're there for, for health and for, you know, for health and wellness and how important they are in a public health. So it was interesting to both be trying to run a nonprofit and, you know, worry about things like fundraising and seeing, you know, lots of things were changing all at once, but also we saw a really big appreciation from our supporters um, for public parks. I see. Wow. So what made you um, want to be a, a work for the parks? I mean, what, what got you interested in all this? Yeah, I, I think it's really that element of you get to do something different almost every day when you're in a public park. You know, uh, for example, in a given week, I'll work on a public art project. I'll work on a resilience project. I'll, I'll work on advocacy, you know, for um, creating more space for people to walk and bike near the park. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I'm working with, on a lot of different things in any given day and working with a lot of different people. And I love that. I'm, you know, part of my job is building partnerships with different organizations um, that are doing great work, you know, in Cambridge and Boston and Watertown and trying to provide the parks as a platform for them to do that work. And I love making those connections and I love um, building those partnerships. So um, yeah, it's just the variety. Uh, as someone, if you, if you were to ask me what a typical day is, I could not answer because I don't have a typical day. <laughs> I see, wow. Besides that I wake up and go to bed. I mean, that's really the only <laughs> regularity of my day. <laughs> yeah. So, so, what gives, so what inspires you, what gives you inspirations to do what you do? Well, hello there. This is the J-Man Show on WBCA 102.9 FM, Boston's local community radio. You know, how much you enjoyed it, it, it really means a lot. And it means a lot to our entire team. Um, and that's true with City Splash. That's true with someone kayaking on the river. That's true with, you know, someone just enjoying a picnic and feeling like they have a place to go relax. Mm -hmm. um, so that really inspires me. And then just seeing how hard a lot of, um, how dedicated and how hard a lot of, you know, people and colleagues in the environmental field are working, right? People are all, are getting up and putting so much time and energy and effort into trying to make, trying to keep our environment healthy, trying to make it healthier, trying to connect more people to it. And just um, seeing how hard, you know, colleagues work at other organizations and here, you know, my the team that I work with every day, how dedicated everybody is, is really inspiring. So what's what to, do, to do in your spare time? Good question. Um, so I, uh, my husband and I, we have a dog. Oh. And uh, we love we love playing with the dog. We love taking her for hikes. So we go to other parks. You know, we like to explore other parks. Um, he's a landscape architect, so he designs parks. And then I have been, I manage them or, you know, program them and work in the activation of them. So we work in kind of similar fields. We both love the outdoors. Um, love bringing our dog for hikes in the outdoors. And then we also have a canoe. So we like to go um, canoeing. Um, we put the dog in the middle of the canoe and sometimes you know, she likes to go back and forth. So it starts to rock the boat a little bit. So I have to stay really stable so that, <laughs> you know, I don't uh, throw us off and tip us over, but uh, that's really fun. And then uh, I do a lot of cooking. I like oh. to do a lot of cooking. I started baking bread in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So got to keep up with my my bread baking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my rule in the pandemic was that I could eat whatever I wanted as yeah. long as I ate it. Mm -hmm. So I made a lot of bread and pasta and cookies and lots of things that I wanted to eat. Oh. So I like to do a lot of that too. I love to try some of your cooking, you know. I love to yeah, I have a good recipe, a good chocolate chip recipe. So what do you see yourself years from now or down the line? That's also a good question. <laughs> Probably, you know, still in the same field. I think, um, Again, I really like that it's different. Um, I'd love to be in a place where, you know, whether it's working for the Charles River Conservancy or another organization, we're helping to get, you know, keep connecting people, um, helping to make some of the structures and how we take care of parks in Massachusetts and make that better. Um, I think figuring out how to leverage more communities and really give them ownership over the spaces is important. Uh, understand the, the, you know, every park is also so different. You know, you could be um, in a forest out in Western Mass, and that's a very different um, environment and needs different care than an urban park, you know, in the, in in Boston. So, um, love it. I really also enjoy thinking like structurally, how do we how do we enable more care? How do we enable more people to get involved? Um, so something still in the same field, maybe maybe um, I don't know, 
bigger, but uh, I'm also very happy where I am. <laughs> so. That's a good question. Um, I think probably I'm probably pretty based in Massachusetts or as much as I can predict, you know, you can never fully know what's going to come. Um, I'm from Western Massachusetts. So my family is all just a couple hours West of the city. Um, and I live in Medford and really like living in kind of around the Boston area. Um, I also love being able to go to Western Mass and enjoy, you know, a more wide open spaces and, and see my family. Um, and my, my husband moved actually up here from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. uh, so pretty big difference for him. And he also loves Massachusetts and, you know, he kind of made his big move. So I think we're, we're in Mass to stay for a while, okay. if not forever. Okay. <laughs> but love traveling too. You know, that's important. We have love to go to out west and see friends in Colorado, friends and family. Um, we went to Costa Rica for the first time, which is a really cool place to visit. So um, love being based in Massachusetts, but also traveling a lot. What is like for you during, during, during the wintertime? You know, is it um, wintertime, even though we're maybe not out in the parks as much as we are uh, this time of year in the summer, um, wintertime is a really important time for us to plan our year. You know, what programs are we doing? We start planning City Splash in January because wow. um, it takes a lot to, to pull together. So we do that. And then part of my job is also fundraising. Um, so I talk, you know, work with a lot of our donors and the end of the year, you know, December, um, end of the calendar year is a big donation time. So I spend a lot of time, um, you know, working with our donors, understanding what's really interesting to them, um, what's motivating them, what they like to see from our organization and do a lot of fundraising um, in the fall and in the winter also. So even though it's different, it's still busy. <laughs> um, though we do get to take a little bit of a, a you know, a break. I get, you know, usually take the last close office the last week of the year and give everybody a well-deserved break. And would you maybe ever consider moving to Florida? It was plenty hot here for me last week. I don't know about you, but uh, <laughs> however many days we had in the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think I would move to Florida. You know, my parents like to go to Florida in the winter, so I guess you go visit them. Yeah. And that, that's nice to have that, have a place to go visit, but I don't think I would necessarily move there. Oh, I, I understand, you know, yeah. Are you a big fan of Florida? Oh yeah, I love Walt Disney World. You know. Yeah, the, oh, that's right. You just had a trip there. Kind of moved move down in Jennifer for to, to go to school. You know, for for, for my degree in communication. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, because because I because I, I, I love Boston now, but not the not not during winter time. You know, because it's just too cold. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like snow. I like snow. You know, from like December through January. Yeah. February it starts to get old, and March is pretty terrible. I feel like here we could if I could leave for March. Yeah, I think it's the worst month. I hear you. You know, that's I definitely what you're saying. You know, <laughs> so, wow. So, what do you think people can do to make the world better, in your opinion? I think that they can. Uh, I think that there are a lot of really great nonprofits out there with people who's you know day in and day out is trying to make the world better in some way, whether that's um, helping the environment or um, helping provide food to people that don't have enough food or education to people that need more support. So I think that there are great ways to get involved um, uh, for people that are interested in doing that, you know, finding a, a nonprofit, learning more about it, learning how they can support either volunteering or financially um, or by giving feedback. I think that's really important. Not everybody has time to volunteer. Not everybody can afford to volunteer. Um, so if there are ways, you know, finding out the right way for, you know, individuals to interact with an organization, whether that's just letting them know 
how they'd like to, or, you know, what they can do to meet kind of their needs. But I think that there's a lot of opportunity. And uh, I think also just taking care of, you know, yourself, you know, <laughs> doing it in a way that's uh, not detrimental to the planet, but, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of benefit in just getting outside and taking a walk for an individual and also for kind of the greater community. So what do you, what do you plans for summer, for the rest of summer and the rest of the year? Um, I have a couple of camping trips oh, wow. um, that I'm going to go on. I actually just went camping on the Boston Harbor Islands on Pettix oh. Island, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to go to upstate New York again. We'll take the dog. We'll go camping. Um, and then we'll be in Vermont for a long weekend in August. We have some very good friends that are getting married. So we'll make a really long weekend out of that and have a lot of fun with friends out uh, uh, in Vermont. Um, yeah, I'll also, I'm trying to go to more farmer's markets in this summer. Uh, I love going to farmer's markets. Um, and so cooking, um, but yeah, kind of balancing some time away and, and um, camping with hanging out at home. And then we'll also, for our organization, the fall gets really busy. So um, I'll do some planning in August for kind of our next year. Oh, that sounds yeah. wonderful. So what's, yeah. so what's that like to camp on a, on a hub? Is it can you swim in the harbor as well? Yeah, we did. Um, it was cold where we were, but it was really refreshing. Um, you take one of the, right now, you can only camp on Pettix Island, okay. um, but you take, you have to, you have to make the ferry in time. You have to buy a ticket to the ferry and you have to book a place, uh, one of the campsites, but you take a ferry over with all of your stuff, all of your food. We have a wagon that we take and a cooler that has wheels. So it's a little easier to drag. Mm-hmm. Um, and set up the, the tent at the site, but it's just, it's really fun because you feel like you're very far out of the city because you're really kind of surrounded by nature, but you can see the city. There's like, you can see the skyline in the distance. So it's really fun kind of combination of feeling like you're in the middle of nowhere and right next to the city. Yeah. Um, I recommend it. And there's, uh, on Paddock's Island, as well as other islands, there, there are, um, old forts from world mm-hmm. war one, world war two that are being restored. Um, so some of them are like almost like ruins, complete ruins oh, that you can kind of walk around and explore. And then some of them are being uh, renovated and preserved, but it's also just like a, a peek into history in a different, in a really different way. And, and can, you, can you also fish on the fish on the islands too? Yeah, that's not something we've done, but I've seen people fishing out in the harbor. Um, where we were was a really busy navigation channel kind of through there. So I'm not sure how many fish hang out right there, but I'm sure there are places to do it. How do you do, how do you do racism in, in your opinion? Um, definitely different because I am a white woman. And so I do not feel the same, um, the same systematic racism that, that you do. I, I just don't, you know, I, I have been someone that's benefited from privilege of having white skin um, and definitely have been thinking a lot more about that on how, especially in the world of public parks, how to um, make sure people with, uh, you know, that it, it be very more, much more aware of how racism plays out in public parks, right? There are places that people don't feel comfortable either because of how they're policed or um, kind of signals they get on what types of activities they can and can't do, what kind of music they can and can't play. So I've been um, thinking about how we make sure and can help support everybody feeling, you know, welcome in public parks. So that's really important. And they are everybody's, you know, um, and also think about our organization. How can we, you know, hold ourselves accountable, think about new partners, how we amplify the work of other groups that are 
led by people of color that are you know working really directly with people of color um, and try to and try to do that ourselves as well. So uh, I've been thinking a lot about it, but as as a white person, I don't feel the same. You know, I, I'm very aware that I don't have the same negative effects of direct racism. Um, and I, I've been benefited from privilege. Okay, so can you reach out to you on social media? Sure. So we are on Instagram. Um, the organization is that's um, at Charles River CRC is our Instagram handle. Uh, the same is true for Twitter. Um, and then we also have a Facebook page. Um, and all of that, we also have a website, which is www.thecharles.org. Um, and so you can find more information about our projects, um, our staff, contact information. Um, and the links or the connections to our social media. Um, yeah, I hope to see you before next year's City Splash. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me and uh, good luck with your your plans and your study plans for Florida. Hello there. My name is Jaya Bano. You want to Jamie Trimble is on WBCA 102.9 FM, Boston's local community radio station. My guest today is Professor, professor from Marshall Community College, Dr. Maya Barlin. Hi, hi, Professor. Good to see you on the show today. Oh. How have you been? I've been awesome, Jaye. I, I am very proud of you and, and all the successes that you've had, even going through uh, my classes and, uh, you know, going through the graduation process. Um, I'm, I'm a proud faculty member at uh, Roxbury Community College and uh, just happy to be a part of the community. Absolutely. And it's wonderful to have you on my show today. My question to you is, what made you want to become a professor? Interestingly enough, uh, way back in the day, my mom used to tell my brother and myself that we would be teachers. And uh, <laughs> along those lines, I didn't really, you know, have any aspirations per se. And uh, fast forward, graduated from the University of Hartford, and I came upon an opportunity to become an adjunct faculty member. And I started teaching accounting, and uh, through through the accounting realm, I found that I would uh, fare pretty well. I pretty much enjoyed the process. Um, uh, education, uh, as you see behind me, is is for me the most powerful weapon which person can actually use to change the world. And uh, the way it is that my mom uh, shaped uh, me and my brother to uh, focus in on education is, is pretty much the start of that that journey in and of itself. So what is left to be professor and how did you get that job at RCC? All right. So, well, I actually was uh, in between jobs, as a matter of fact. And so, interestingly enough, uh, my brother actually told me about the position at RCC and suggested that I actually apply. So I went through the process and applied and uh, the rest speaks for itself. Uh, I will be uh, there as of September 1st, three years. And so it's been an awesome journey. And I'm again, I'm glad to be a part of the community. Oh, it's wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So what inspires you? What gives you inspiration to do what you do? Oh, uh, it goes back to my passion about education. Um, I initially started with uh, obtaining a GED. And mm -hmm. beyond that, I have four degrees in total. And so <laughs> with that being said, uh, those four degrees beyond my GED, which is uh, the equivalent of a high school diploma, uh, are my bachelor's of science in accounting, my master's in professional accounting, and an MBA in finance, as well as a doctorate in education. And those are all from the University of Hartford. Mm -hmm. And believe this or not, I only applied to one university, and that was the University of Hartford. And uh, 
as I took that journey, uh, one day I was calling up to find out my status in terms of my financial aid packet and uh, the administrative assistant uh, told me that they were actually meeting to decide whether or not I would become a student. She came back to the phone and said, congratulations, you are now a University of Hartford student. Wow, congratulations. So what was Thank that? you. So what was that experience like? Well, for me, interestingly enough, I didn't live on campus because oh. literally, literally it was, uh, I want to say about two miles away from where I actually lived. And so I could technically walk the school. However, I took the bus and so getting acquainted to the campus was, was an adventure. Um, I took it, I took full ownership of, of my educational process and I was there to not party, mm -hmm. but to uh, engage in achieving my, my first degree uh, in, in order for me to assist my family uh, financially. And uh, my, my mother had always stated that uh, being that she had worked collar uh, position that she would like for my brother and myself to actually uh, pay in white collar jobs so we wouldn't have to work so hard. So was going to college school kind of hard for you at first? No, actually, I, I was ready for college once I hit ninth grade. Oh, <laughs> I found oh. high school to be very boring. Oh. High school for me was boring. Right. Um, so I was, I was pretty much ready to go to college as soon as I hit ninth grade. But, um, you know, again, just learning the environment, not being afraid to talk to people and find out um, answers to my questions. Uh, again, I looked at it in terms of being a, an adventure. You could call me the uh, the pre-door explorer in education, so to speak, uh, as I took on that, uh, that journey. But uh, typically when it is that I was setting forth and, you know, registering for classes, I would actually look at the college uh, catalog and kind of like map out all of my classes at, for every semester. And each and every time I must say uh, during the summertime, just before classes started up for the fall, I was ready to go school supply shopping. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. I see. So what to do for fun, you know? So, so for fun, um, I guess the typical fun would be pretty much just making sure that, uh, especially during the summer, just trying yeah. to stay cool. Uh -huh. Um, because I'm I'm born and raised out of Harper, Connecticut, and I currently commute to Roxbury from Connecticut. Uh, pretty much uh, for fun, uh, in okay. my mind, fun is what you make it. Okay. Every day to me is fun, so it just depends on what comes along that 24-hour cycle that uh, would add to what I would consider fun. But typically it's like watching movies, um, being outside. Yeah. And uh, uh, right now, because it is the summertime, riding my motorcycle. Oh, wow, you have a motorcycle? Wow. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Yes, I do. You think maybe you can take me for, for, for a while? Oh, that's one of my caveats. I, I do not have passengers on my vehicle. I only want to be responsible for for one life, and that's mine. So okay, okay. <laughs> right now, I do not do passengers. I wish I could offer you that ride, Jaye, yeah, but a, not not on, not on my bike. Okay, <laughs> I do okay, not have yeah. to ride solo. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I, I got you. That's awesome, though, you know. Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. So uh, is, is it kind of hard to commute back and forth to work? Mm, I, I would say in... in the, in the fall and winter seasons, it gets a little um, challenging. I wouldn't call it hard. I would say it's challenging only because the sun sets so much sooner than during the spring and the summer times. But other than that, it's it's not much of a challenge. I, I did 
notes to myself when I said yes to taking my position at RCC that the commute would be part of it. And, and along those lines, it has been. But then when the pandemic came in, mm -hmm. uh, they provided us an opportunity to uh, shift online. And so I was still able to continue teaching online, which made for um, the, the cut down into the commute. So the biggest commute that I had was between living room, lane, and highway hallway. <laughs> oh, wow. <That's> awesome. wow. <laughs> to, to my home office. Yeah, to my home office. So there was a... Uh, that much of a commute uh, during the pandemic. But uh, as we uh, hopefully get closer to closing out the pandemic, uh, I'm, I will be making my way back to campus uh, again during the fall. So how did the pandemic affect you? Uh, no, it wasn't, as a matter of fact, because it's all about how how it is that one thinks about the, the situations as they present themselves. So no, none of us expected the pandemic. And for me, I think of um, every challenge as an opportunity to actually pivot. I don't know if you play chess or not, but I see life as a, a chess game, not not checkers. And so you have to um, be willing to make moves and be strategic about making those moves, uh, even those that are unforeseen. So you have to do your very best to uh, pretty much ride the tide in terms of um, life circumstances. Where do you see yourself done? Uh, yes, now still teaching as a professor. Yes, I do. I'm I'm hoping um to earn tenure uh, in the near future, and so because I love what I do, um and and I love the community, I, I see myself uh being at RCC for a fairly long time. Uh -huh. Hopefully until retirement. Hopefully okay. until retirement. <laughs> okay. You might want to choose somewhere else, but like, like maybe California. Well, you know what? For me, the sky is beyond the limit. So I would I would uh, consider specific um, types of, of moves. However, because it is that I am uh, very content with being with RCC, then, you know, it's it's that that's that if that we don't know about regarding the future. And so if it presented itself, I would be curious. But you know what? Again, I'm content where where I'm at right now. And Roxbury, and so I'm ready to uh, be a part of the Roxbury community and work as a team member to take us to higher heights. Oh, oh that's wonderful. I, I definitely applaud you for that. Yeah, so um, do, do, do you also sing? Are you also into anthem as well? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see me in class, so you know I'm full of energy. Yeah. And so so I, I do a little bit here and there. I always uh, uh, think of myself as uh uh, a slight comedian, you know, from time to time. I do have yeah. a few corny jokes from here to there. Uh, but, you know, I, I, for the most part, I find it more valuable to to laugh or find something to laugh about in life because they say, what they say, if you're not laughing, then you, on the opposite end, might be crying. So I find it much more enjoyable to actually smile and laugh. Because I can see you as a comedian, definitely. <laughs> To me, you have to be a style or actor. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've done um, in the past some narrating. Um, RCC has offered me the opportunity to step into some leadership positions. And uh, so I've uh, co-chaired and um, actually I'm currently the department coordinator for um, information systems technology. And so um, the leadership um opportunities are available and and i just 
I love teamwork. And so my mantra is teamwork makes the dream work. And so together we can and united we can. So I know it's all it's all about perspective and what it is that you're willing to do to get tasks that need to get done done. People can do to make the world better in your opinion. Well, actually, that's a great question. Um, in regards to everyone um, currently breathing on this planet, we all can make a contribution. And so it all depends on what the person passion is about, right? And so individually, we all have to tap into uh, some self-reflection in order to find out what our passion is and how it is that we're going to uh, be a part of the change that we would like to see, which means that as simply as saying good morning to someone could actually change someone who you don't know's uh, perspective on things. Um, and it doesn't cost much to smile either. So uh, we all can do our own individual part because we all impact individuals on a day-to-day -day basis and come in contact with a variety of people. So the question becomes, what are you going to do in terms of offering up a smile or a good morning to someone? Yeah. I guess that is true, you know, that's, you know, because yeah, because a smile can always make a person feel, feel so much better. Hug. I, I, I definitely agree. So what are your plans for the rest of the summer? Yeah, well, the, the summer seems to be slipping through the hourglass, you know, the 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 time, like, or like an hourglass uh, with uh, sand uh, contained in it. And so, uh, so before long, we'll actually be starting classes again. I believe it's August 31st. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, I know, right? And we're heading into August at, at the end of this week. So by the time um, summer ends, I'm hoping to have uh, at least uh, gone to the beach, mm -hmm. at least, uh, uh, let's say, uh, taking a couple of out-of-state out trips. Yeah. Mm, definitely get some sleep, some R&R. Mm. Some um, make sure that I embrace my family and uh, and stay in contact with uh, friends and colleagues and all that good stuff. But uh, as you know, there's only one place that success comes before work, and that's in a dictionary. <laughs> I guess that is that is true. You know, my mom from my mom always told me the same thing. You know, you know, she said go to school and be successful. That's what I try to do. You know, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, is is going to be interesting in terms of the fall, from from my perspective, is uh, related to us uh, preparing to launch the new data analytics certificate that was approved um, during this spring, and so that's going to be a new offering in my department. And so there's there's some more work that needs to be done. However, uh, as as we uh, continue with the work, where Hoping to engage the community in another uh, aspect of information technology that they can thrive in in terms of careers. Well, that's one of the here, you know. I mean, that's it's always good to have these these programs help people that need it, you know. So I definitely agree, you know. You know, I'm glad that RCC is doing that. Absolutely, RCC has a fabulous support system. There are all uh, hands on deck, and uh, so if you have a question, uh, you can definitely seek an answer for someone. And if they don't have the answer, then they can redirect you to someone who does. Um, one of the things that I try to um, express and impress upon my students is to realize that communication is the key to building bridges between any gaps of knowledge, right? 
And so with that being said, a, a question that goes unasked also goes unanswered. That is very true, you know, because we don't ask a question, you're, 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 never going, you're never going to answer, you know. I definitely agree, and also I want to point out those questions so you can... Hello, this is a Jamin Shaw on WBCA 102.9 FM, Boston's local community radio station. My guest today is Daryl Jones, a, a producer and a um, podcaster and a host of his own radio show. Um, and, I'm, and, my, and my name is Jaya Bino, the J-Man. Okay, hey, Daryl, good to see you on the show how you doing, man? You know, everybody pronounces it Darrell. Uh, that's what the prison would say. So that's the first thing that we would settle up. You know, all the years I was gone, they would call me the name they wanted to call me. You know what I mean? So my question to you is, um, can you tell me about your story? How you got, um, if you don't mind talking about how you got sent to prison, what it was like for you, how that experience changed you? Well, one of the things I try to tell people is that it's a very um, difficult case, right? And difficult in terms of all the activities, things they did to um, to set me up, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people that it's probably best for them to get the story to Google. You know, if you put in Darrell Jones, D-A-R-R-E-L-L Jones, mm-hmm. in the word innocent man, mm-hmm. story just pop up. And, you know, it, it'll go so many ways, you okay. know, south there. But I was 18 years old in the town of um, Brockton, Mass., and at that time, I was out there because we were doing little shows at the Rosalind Ballroom in Taunton and all that out mm-hmm. there. And I had just, um, you know, got that little musical takeoff, so to speak. The Mantronics actually were in town and I was signing something for them right there at a show I was doing. But so I got, you know, familiar with the town. The town got a little familiar with me and, you know, what they call your name's popping. I was only, you know, 18. And um, at that time, there was a shooting outside of a bar that I was in because they didn't have no age thing. It was like a little bar, everybody go in there, you know what I mean, hang out. And a shooting had happened outside. Mm-hmm. And literally didn't even know, not only did I not know the shooting, ha- shooting happened, but I had never seen this person they were saying that was in the bar. And they were saying that someone walked him out of the bar. Mm-hmm. And I remember there's a group of people inside of the bar and that someone walked him out of the bar at gunpoint. And right across the street and just shot him one time and ran the whole story didn't make sense to me i mean there was a killing this man was killed but it didn't make sense to me because one i'm going not only did he not know me but he was a cuban guy and he, he didn't speak no english he only could say one two three or whatever so mm-hmm. his lawyer confirmed that so if he couldn't speak any english we ain't gonna have no dialogue in that bar mm-hmm. and clear thing that would happen with me coming from where I'm coming from and where he coming from. If we were in that bar and got into an argument with someone that didn't speak English, we're going to be the loudest thing in that box. I'm not going to know what he's saying. He's not going to know what I'm saying. And then the other thing I thought about it was all the people there were like, they didn't really know me, but they all knew him. They bought cocaine from him and he's supposedly a big dealer and they bought cocaine. They all knew him. They always his friends. Not too many people. I don't think in this world exists. That's going to let you walk them away from people at gunpoint in the middle of a bar. Mm-hmm. And that's when they would resist, right? They yeah. would resist then, especially if they know the people and you don't know them. And, you know, at, during that crack era and all this stuff, you can be sure that he was the man with the cocaine that that whole bar would have probably been at me if I, that was the case. Mm-hmm. So none of that occurred. Someone, I believe, just shot that man outside for some reason, because it was a difficult case. And knowing for me being in prison, knowing that 
Mm-hmm. It didn't even fit the stigma of what they were trying to say, us Boston dudes or ghetto, whatever you want to call it at that mm-hmm. time, would do. This man has his wallet on him. This man has his car. I don't know if he has drugs or not. You know what I mean? But he has his car. He has all his stuff, and he's got lots of jewelry, right? And he's known for lots of jewelry. Where I'm from, nobody comes up and just shoots somebody and leaves them with their wallets, with their jewelry, with their car right there, take nothing from them unless that's some kind of hit. You understand that? No, 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 nobody from the ghetto, as you know, bro, is walking up on nobody who's got a bunch of gold. If they don't know them personally, got some beef and it's some kind of hit, whatever they got to do and just shoot them and leave it. So that was common sense. Like nothing's taken. I'm not robbing them. There's nothing going on. I'm just going to shoot a guy for no reason and walk him out of a bar. And what did he do to me to even have me have such a thought? You know what I mean? And they eventually end up, I think two weeks later or whatever it was, they were saying my name. Mm-hmm. I had to really turn myself in right to the same place. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came and arrested me. In short, they did a lot of things to cause the conviction, right? Mm-hmm. All of the witnesses, no one got up there and said, that's him. You know what I mean? The most they had was somebody that said he looked the most like the guy, I think. No one, everyone. And then that's how I got out. All those witnesses were recanting. You know, like, no, I never told you it was him. They said that, but they took by the name of Terry Lynn Starks mm-hmm. and they made a videotape. She's the only one. They said they showed other people the pictures, but she was the only one and they videotaped hers. And in the middle of that video, you'll see all that. If you go Google, you know, my name, Darrell Jones, and it's man mm-hmm. in the middle of that tape, when they played it at my trial, her identification was basically missing because a TV show came on in the middle, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And they were making up these reasons why I was on there. This cop said that he went to press play. He was supposed to be with the lawyer I had. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what makes the case so complex. That's why I tell people to look it up because it would take a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Come to find out the lawyer that I had actually had been representing the Brockton police since 67. Oh. There was the conflict. And they gave me a lawyer, right? And it's a public defender at that time, public pretender. They gave me a lawyer who actually is representing all the police over there and during their divorces. So that's their buddy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he says that the DA says that him and my lawyer were together and mm-hmm. they were watching the video up, uh, just rewatching the video of her allegedly saying it's me. And they're using a video on her to be able to say short guy, tall guy, they're using a video and that part's it's gone. You know, a middle of it, it's gone. And um, their excuse was that them two was supposed to be, he said, the DA, that they were sitting down together watching it. Mm-hmm. And he went to press play and accidentally press record. And that's how the TV show got on there. Oh. You know, what do you think's wrong with that picture? I was 18 years old. The moment I heard it, the moment I heard the excuse and I said, that's wrong. What do you think is wrong with that picture? Well, I'll help you out with it. Make it real simple. If I'm watching something like you and I are watching each other, mm-hmm. I don't need to press play, right? What, what, would I be, what would I be pressing play for? Exactly. So I'm doing a recording. Yeah, I, I got you. You got to say that's why in the middle of it, we have the recording. Mm-hmm. And the judge allowed all that. And, and that's what they use. So to make the jury just believe this is exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until 28 years later, you know, I end up doing 32 solid in the joint and three years out here dealing with them total 35 years of my life wasted messing with these people. Oh. And it, it was just, it was just real 
peculiar to me, the other chain of events tied to it. Mm-hmm. Prior to my case, right when this was happening to me, this guy that got killed here, he, um, it's crazy, man, because he had got arrested by the same cop that's putting this murder on me. Mm-hmm. And he was a week from going to his own trial on a drug case. And, and the record is kind of like, he was basically letting them, getting ready to let them know it's the police. Mm-hmm. Then come to find out, I'm in jail. The chief of police, Richard Sprouse at that time, who's supposed to be in charge of this investigation, the feds are investigating him, and he winds up copping out to stealing cocaine and using it for five years. They never put none of their evidence, drugs, in the evidence room. Oh, wow. They were just taking it home. Then all of a sudden, the judge says to them, I mean, the feds say to them, basically, um, we're going to need those drugs that y'all been taking home for this investigation. Mm-hmm. And you think you think one of them just got cocaine sitting at their house since 67, 69, 70, 80. They don't got no cocaine. They didn't did something with that, sold that, used that, whatever they done. So mm-hmm. where are they going to get the cocaine from? Yeah. From him. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Something, you know, you're dealing with a cocaine dealer. This guy come up dead. Chief winds up going to jail. You know, he's saying he was using for five years, which is right during the time when he got, when they, when they put this on me. Then if you go to YouTube and look at Richard Sprouse talking about me, the guy was the one that was in charge of the investigation, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was the, he was the, the head detective. And this chief of detectives, this, this guy is on YouTube. I'm in jail. He wound up getting 10 years. He wound up doing, I don't know how much of it, but he wound up getting 10 years. So he's in jail while I'm in jail. Uh-huh. Still, they don't know. They're still hiding me as a secret, you know, not trying to let me get no air to get out of there. They know what they've done. But, but on the video, he goes, I know all the bad guys. I knew all the names out here. This guy doesn't ring a bell. He's talking about me. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, there's no fingerprints. There's no, where's the smoking gun? You're talking about me, man. Mm-hmm. You're the one asking these questions and, and you guys have took my whole life. You know what I mean? So there was just a whole order of things that occurred that yeah. would be hard to summarize how they happened because it's still an investigation in my own life of what happened to this man. Cause see, mm-hmm. no one's investigating it now. Isn't it ironic that most of us get out and we celebrate the idea you know, a little bit of media, whatever they'll do, will celebrate the idea that a person's home, but we don't seem to want to follow up and say, well, who did do it? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if you done took 35 years of my life invested in this for nothing, why ain't we looking for that? Exactly. We should be. You ain't still trying to solve nothing. Mm-hmm. You know and so, you know, all, all of this is a telltale sign of its own. So it's real difficult, like I said, to box it in like this would happen. I mean, here it is. I sat in a prisoner's dock my whole trial, meaning like a car and a half length away from the lawyer that represented me, who waited till the third day of trial to even notify, oh, I forgot. I represent most of or all of, well, most of the police that are going to testify. Mm-hmm. You don't know that till the third day of my trial and you've been representing them since 67? Oh, and he only said that because one of the um, court officers said it to him, like, shouldn't you tell them? It's all black and white. Yes. But the idea is that people assume sorrow or 
we're sorry that happened to you. Mm -hmm. It's more helpful than the idea of, hey, we'll start saying something, which we'll speak out, which, you know yeah. what I mean, about what's happening. When I said, you know, I have a movement I tried to get going here called Not In My Name. Mm -hmm. And all I'm explaining to the public is, I don't want no more out of you than you to say not in my name, to just put that any way you can. Hashtag not, not in my name, right? Because the government uses your name, they use you. You know yeah. what I mean? Whoever is my age and younger and their mothers, and they used you to put me in prison to say that you validate that, right? So every yeah. wrongful man and woman you see coming out, once we you know able to get ourselves out, they're saying, in, in Jay's name, we did this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because um, it's Commonwealth versus Darrell Jones. The Commonwealth is you. The yeah. Commonwealth is all the people. Mm -hmm. And so they, the DA don't get up and say, yeah, in behalf of me and Clay, you know what I mean? Or whatever the name may be. They get up and say, Yana, on behalf of the Commonwealth. So they sold the Commonwealth a lot. It wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And the Commonwealth has allowed them, when you say they have money for schools or programs, Mm -hmm. To hold me in prison for $45,000 a year and up a year. They're mm -hmm. paying for the wrong man to be in prison. So if mm -hmm. we add that up to, you know, 32 years solid, right? Mm -hmm. How is that? Where's that money at? Exactly. They done spent you, you know, the taxpayers' money and, and without no refund. You can't just get anything. If I order from Amazon, it's going to have to be some kind of delivery. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. They're saying we can just charge you and not deliver. So we can just take the taxpayers' money and finagle it around. Mm -hmm. If I'm not the guy, then that's millions of dollars in taxpayers' money. So where, where's their money at? Exactly. And I'm asking them to get their money. I'm saying, hey, listen, let's go for it all, but say not in my name. Because mm -hmm. if we take that power away from DAs, they'll start having to let you be part of the process. Mm -hmm. They won't be able to just jump up there and say, Hey, we're doing this in Jay's name and Jay's mother's name and Jay's grandmother's name. We're doing this in the name. You'll be able to say, not in my name, not unless I know something about it. Yeah. You wouldn't let nobody just be taking your credit card doing that. No. Wow. So I thought that was important for me to say. You know what I mean? Excuse me one second. Oh, I'm take your time, you know. Very important for me to say. Well, I'm glad you spoke your mind, brother. Yes, we offer something we need to hear, you know. And I mean, but you know, the case itself. Like I said, boxing in is, is going to be difficult because there's so many issues. Um, but the experience, a little bit of that I could share. Okay. I try to share it in an advisory role, man, meaning that I don't want to sit on my hardship. That's not that's not my goal. That's, that's their goal, mm -hmm. to have you sit on your hardship, to disrupt your life, to change you and incubate a different species of you to mm -hmm. return to your community. I wasn't quite interested in doing that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I educated myself in there, started a few programs in there, made um, videos for kids bullying and different things out here. Um, worked with um, the mothers out here, like um, Ron Odoms and, and Kim Odoms, and did a video um, called What is Beautiful Never Dies. Mm -hmm. So I was active in there, won a United Nations Award in there, actually. Well, hello there. This is the J-Man Show on WBCA 102.9 FM, Boston's local community radio station. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. 
If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.